and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you and obey what I've taught you. And as you do that, I'm going to be with you. And that, for the Gospel of Matthew, is where he ends. Matthew has no story of the ascension. He ends by saying, I'm going to go with you as you go back beginning at Galilee. So you open the book of Acts. The disciples are in Jerusalem. And in Luke's version, some of the last words he says, Jesus says to the disciples, is I want you to be my witnesses. Eyewitnesses, people who have been there and seen this. And I want you to start in Jerusalem, move to Judea and Samaria, and I want you to take this message to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we start in Jerusalem, and it seems like the church is hung up there for some time before there's a persecution, and as Jim put it a few weeks back, like water on a grease fire, it actually causes the persecution causes the church to carry that message with them. The legacy of God's people is a legacy of telling the story of Jesus. Because we know what it's about. We've seen it. And so for the month of September, we've tried to use this to emphasize missions and how we at Wilshire are trying in our limited way to be a part of that ongoing legacy of taking the story of Jesus around the globe. And so on the first Sunday night, we heard from Mel, uh, who has been an intricate part of Brazil, both as someone who grew up there and watched his own father converted to Christ through connections here at uh, Oklahoma City and Oklahoma Christian, and then going back to Brazil and raising children who eventually go into the mission field themselves. And so over the summer, Mel took uh, a group of students from OC back to where he grew up and continued the campaigns that helped bring his father uh, to Christ, some of the people who helped do that. And then last week, two weeks ago, we heard from Lynn, who spent uh, a week and a half, two weeks in Togo, Africa, telling us about what the gospel is doing over there through the support of Wilshire and a great ministry that was started by Walter Bryan years ago that continues to this day through those efforts. Lynn showed me just this morning a text that he got from someone connected with Africa in the last two weeks, brothers and sisters, the last two weeks, they have baptized over 400 people into Christ working in this little village in Africa. Isn't that fantastic? And last week, Jim talked about that text in Philippians 1 where Paul writes to the church. And Paul, kind of in this somewhat thank you note of mission work, thanks them for being partners in the gospel. What we want to accomplish tonight, just very briefly, is to remind you not only of the partnership that you have in the gospel, but also the continuing role that some of you are actually doing that yourself. And so the first thing I want to do, I want to invite Larry to come up. Larry is going to talk about some more of those efforts at taking the gospel around the world that Wilshire is continuing to be a part of. 
you hear these in our prayers sometimes. Uh, I always appreciate when Hoppy leads prayer because Hoppy is very focused on this, about our mission work. And, and Hoppy brings our attention back to some of these efforts that Larry is going to mention to you. Um, so Lynn tonight, by the way, is in Miami, Oklahoma, giving a report about Africa. Um, and so Larry has agreed. Lynn is kind of our deacon of missions, and Larry is going to represent our missions and what's going on, just to let you hear the broader aspect of the mission work going on. Oh, thank you. That's the value of notes, right? You can move them. One of the things that uh, we've said many times is that Wilshire has always been a place with a heart for missions. I'm not sure that many of us can recall how big that heart for missions was for a very long time. When Nancy and I first came here just 34 years ago or so, the church was very active in missions. And shortly after that, uh, we became... I think probably one of the most unique congregations in the area in the sense that our only full-time minister was in Central America. Pancho Habas was our only full-time minister. Now, we had some ministers here. We even had a church secretary. None of them were full-time. The only full-time minister we had was Pancho. And the bulk of our support, uh, you know, for ministerial staff went to Pancho so that it could be done, and then that was not alone in the kinds of missions that we did. Sometimes our missions are homegrown. Sometimes they're brought to us. Brother Bryant, as was just said, brought to us the work in Togo. Uh, George Bryant has championed different works that he has continued to support throughout his life. Hoppy supports work in India, all on their own not part of the church's work, but just because this place has a heart for that kind of missions. One man that I knew, in fact, I, I met him, I think, the first time on a missions campaign in Upper Michigan uh, at a, in the Marquette area. I was glad this summer when Nancy and I went back there, that church is still there and still thriving. So I, I, that was really kind of neat to think of that from 40 or so years ago. But we would have devotionals down on the shore of Lake Superior, and there was... A man there with us who was uh, working hard in door-to-door work named Jermaine Lockwood. And we all know Brother Lockwood extremely well. He was an engineer at Chrysler, but had a heart for missions. And so he would spend his time doing that. And he had a particular heart for the captive nations, as he would call them. And Wilshire was very strong in his support. When Brother Lockwood came here, he and, uh, and, and Herman would just work. And, of course, built a studio out there by Herman's place and did so many great works to try and reach captive people, that is, people who were not free to celebrate or even hear the gospel of Christ. And so using shortwave radio, they would penetrate those walls that governments tried to set up and send the message of Christ to those people, whichever way they could. And they were, they were just uh, so wise in the way they chose to do that and how they chose to do that in order to make the best use possible of all the funds that came in. Of course, when Brother Lockwood passed, George Bryant, uh, the church asked George to continue to develop those lessons and speak them. And we knew that there were people using those to learn English, and so 
The way those lessons were presented was clear, subject, verb, object kinds of sentences, slow pace, so they could be broadcast and people could listen to them and understand them and learn about the gospel through them. Now, that mission has never left us. We still are concerned about the people in captive nations. You notice down on the list here, we've got uh, Brother Hong, who, uh, Daniel Hong, who just uh, China, uh, Vietnam radio. But beyond that, the Internet presence that we have with Stephen Lockwood and his own server and our ability to send out things on the Internet is a lot cheaper. So even though it's disappeared largely from our budget, the mission has not disappeared. And I think it's important for us to, to kind of remember that as well. And when our college students go out, we try and support them. If you've been a part of the worship here at Wilshire or grew up here or worshiped here while you were in college, we really do try and make sure that you're able to go and to share the message. The other strong support that we feel like we need to do is places that train native preachers. So if those native preachers can go out, speak to their own peoples about the gospel of Christ. It just amazes me that the gospel of Christ does not require some big superstructure to be shared. You just need one person who knows the story and to tell his or her story as they work with their neighbors. I remember an orthopedic surgeon in Jackson, Tennessee, who just... He was on TV every week uh, because he was leading singing. Well, he just got to share his story because people would come to his office to arrange for their surgeries and things, and they would ask him about, why are you leading singing, or what, where do you go to church? Why is it? Because that was just a known part of his life. And every time we live our Christian life and share it openly, we get opportunities to be missionaries wherever that is. And so Wilshire has done a long history of that. And so whether we're talking about the work in, uh, in, in New Zealand to train people to speak to the islands or whether we're talking about the work in South Africa where, you know, we really buy into the dream that, uh, that he has there, that Colin has, the idea of training people to earn their own living, kind of like the Apostle Paul, you know, maybe not tent making but electrical work. You know, or plumbing, or anything like that, to train people to do that, and then to train them to share the gospel so that they can not be a burden to the church in any way or a burden to the community, but they can share openly their faith and lead others to Christ. And so that, to me, it's such a great thing that is a part of the worship that we and the mission work that we have here. And uh, with Ricky Goodhams and others that you see on this list that uh, is written there, and then and some of us, you know, we support individual mission uh, people by the congregation. Some of us also support them individually. And so it's just really neat that this permeates not just the budget of the church, but the part of our lives as well. And so I hope you remember Jermaine Lockwood and Pancho Habas and George Bryant and Hoppy Hopwood and then all those others mentioned in the list here. When you pray tonight and when you pray during the week because... Our support's important, but our prayers and God's blessings will keep them safe and allow them to accomplish their purpose. Well, thank you, Larry. One of the things that the elders started a year, two years ago, is you'll notice between communion and the collection, it's actually one of our deacons that gets up to lead the prayer for the collection. It's a small, minor thing. 
But the deacons, our, our elders entrust our deacons with laying out the budget and thinking through these things. And so it seems very appropriate that our deacons are leading that prayer. But uh, it's important that we're reminded of what Larry just talked about, that when we take this collection on Sundays, it's not just to stay here. It is money that is used to help carry off that mission of Jesus to take the gospel around the world. And so we are grateful. Wilshire is a generous church given our, uh, our makeup, our location, our backgrounds. Very generous church to be able to allow that mission work to continue. So thank you for that. Now, one other thing that we wanted to emphasize tonight is that that call to take the gospel around the world doesn't just mean you have to get on a plane and go around the world. That we have a lot of good work that takes place from some of our brethren here who give their time and effort and energy and money. And so it's not just being partners on the giving end of it, it is being a partner in the carrying that out. And so I just, uh, just a show of hands, if in some way you have been part of a mission effort or some sort of service effort in the name of Jesus this summer or this year, could you raise your hand? That some of you are just being shy and not raising your hand because we have several who are doing that. And I have asked some of you guys, if you'll just come up and let me ask you, Quick questions. So um, if you were uh, a summer camp, if you'll come up, if you're comfortable doing that, David, um, <laughs> and Jeremy, and Pam, uh, or if you were part of a mission crew going to uh, Hope Harbor, if you'll come up here for just, I didn't say sit down, what are you doing? You got to stand up here. What? David sat down. Oh, you started this, huh? Okay, so I had, I just had three quick questions, and you guys can, uh, you pack this, pass this around. What did you do? Uh, well, that'd be your first question. I'm giving you a microphone, David. Don't make me regret this. So what did you do this summer? He says that jokingly, actually, you don't hear me on this side of a microphone very often. That's actually by design. I don't do this well. Um, <laughs> Cliff and I have this arrangement. I'll stand up there and pass trays any Sunday. He needs me to pray. He needs me to do that. Just don't ask me to pray um, because I don't do that well. Um, I have spent the last three years at Wisconsin Christian Youth Camp uh, spending anywhere from two to five weeks uh, cooking in the kitchen. Uh, the last couple of years at their senior session, which is their high school kids, uh, as the head cook, um, this year, I was able to have Tanya Cole with me for two weeks. Both of the last two years, Doug and Loretta have been with me for a week um, and uh, have been a real blessing in that. How many kids go to that camp and how many meals do you cook? We have about 75 students, uh, campers, and uh, we do three meals a day for two weeks Every day, except about four times, they have cookouts in the evening, and uh, we don't, uh, they, they cook that food, we don't. Oh, cool, cool. All right, Jeremy, what'd you do? If I don't know. Um, so Tyler Goodpasture and I, uh, the last five years, have been the camp nurses at uh, Focus Week 
and uh, so he couldn't be here tonight because he is ill. But uh, yeah, we managed, what was it, last year's 200, this year's 225 kids. Yeah, so we managed, obviously we managed, you know, med administration, but obviously just managing all the boo-boos that happen, you know, and sending children away when it's not real issues. So, uh, and then doing things for Tony, you know, repeatedly when he asks me to do things. So, so yeah. Um, for the last couple of years, I guess two or three, I've gone down to um, help with camp. I've been a counselor. Uh, we teach one of the classes. Um, recently, I went with the youth for, as the female chaperone for Hope Harbor. Speaking of Hope Harbor, uh, Will's our representative for the youth group up here, so we're trying to embarrass him. Uh, so a couple of years ago, we decided to try and do something that was uh, close to home for uh, kind of our our annual mission effort uh, for the youth group. And so one of those things, uh, you've probably seen the Hope Harbor change cans or the donation boxes. And I don't know about all of you, but I really didn't know what where Hope Harbor was or what they even did. And so we called them and, and asked if uh, there was something that we could do. Uh, to help them, and they said, please, come on down. So last year, um, or well, Will was going to talk about that. Sorry, Will. I want to give him time to speak. But but basically what Hope Harbor does, it's more than just a, a children's home. Uh, they are that. They have two cottages with house parents that take students in, um, but one of the, uh, or take kids in, but one of the agreements to be part of Hope Harbor is the families that are back home have to agree to be part of um, counseling in an effort to reunify uh, those those families together. So that's something that's very specific that they do. Uh, the Blue Star Church of Christ in Claremore oversees that work. And so uh, we, uh, Jeremy, we, his class Wednesday was First uh, John. It was talking about hospitality, and they they were very hospitable to us. Uh, kind of surprised us with this big spaghetti dinner <laughs> this last summer. Uh, had about 20 people that just showed up and just cooked for us because they were so happy that we were there. Um, and so I'll let Will talk about what we've done. Last couple summers. Okay, so for uh, the past two summers that we've been at Hope Harbor, uh, we've mostly been just, oh, well, the first year we were clearing out an area back behind Hope Harbor so that we could open up the back entrance. Uh, we also rearranged their library. And then the second year, uh, we came down and we painted a bit. Yeah. I don't know how to follow that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Hope Harbor, uh, they also got their school accredited. So they had their first graduating class, actually, the night that we were going down there this summer. And so that was really cool that they're that they're working towards, you know, um, being able to graduate kids from their school as well. So they have a really good mission. And, I, you know, we've supported them for years um, through benevolence. And I had a friend who was a house parent up there. And then uh, friends, a uh, couple who used to come to Wilshire uh, when they were in college um, also um, have been house parents there. And they've transitioned to different roles at Hope Harbor. But um, it's really neat to see the the just the work that can go on close to home. It's not far away. You know, we went to Houston for years and I think for the kids that was something that was a lot of fun um, and and really rewarding and challenging and um, but also being able to go to Hope Harbor, do something closer to home, just a couple hours away from home. 
uh, to make an impact. Uh, I also participate in church camp. Um, this summer was my 20th year in a row to go to a church <laughs> camp. Um, uh, so um, I, I keep thinking I'm probably close to retirement age uh, for that. But no. Uh, but I, church camp is near and dear to me. Uh, it's really important to me. I didn't like church camp as a kid. Um, and I, I didn't have a good time until I got to be a little bit older and I went as a junior counselor and I got to see some of the work that goes into making camp a learning experience for kids and a way to reach out to kids. Um, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of kids who come out to a church camp who don't go to church. And so just the ability to reach someone who is really outside of the normal church um, circle is is really important. And also, like, our kids, I see a lot of kids grow up and and wander away. And I think that church camp is a good way to kind of impact those kids and try to try to keep them as part of the church, try to teach them that um, our faith is more than just, you know, just coming to church and uh, it has an impact on our lives and it should change our lives. And so uh, church camp is really special to me, for sure. Okay, hold that microphone just a second. Um, you mentioned, this will be the last question that you guys set up. You mentioned that uh, with Houston, our youth group has mentioned that for several years, that that was kind of a formative experience. Um, everyone just take a shot at this question. How does mission work or serving in this way impact you? How have you seen it impact the people you're working with? How has it impacted you? So for me, I, I kind of talked about this actually in the middle school class this morning. Mission work was something that opened my eyes to a larger world uh, that I hadn't ever considered. I grew up kind of insulated, southwest Oklahoma. Um, and I my first mission trip was to Honduras in 1999. And uh, they had had a hurricane not too long before. And we were building houses and just seeing the houses that we were building that was like not as good as our shed in our backyard at home and that people are very, very thankful for this house and very excited that we're building them a new house was something that really struck me. Um, and just seeing how people lived and how difficult life was in a way that, you know, I thought my life was hard as a, you know, as a really, really uh, kind of pampered uh, 19 year old kid. Uh, you know, and my life was just so difficult. And then I'm looking at life for the, from this perspective. Uh, it really changed the way that I see the world, opened my eyes up to that there's more to, more to the world than just what we have going on here in Oklahoma. And uh, second mission trip was 2001. That was through Wilshire. We went to Haiti um, with uh, Dan and Jimmy and Kite. And that was, a, <laughs> that was really, really impactful, just seeing... Um, People that I was more familiar with being the leaders and how, you know, how passionate they were for the work that was going on. And, and just the kids that we were taking care of there in Haiti was really good. Um, just made me think more about the world around and not just about myself and where I was. So for me, that's how mission work has really impacted me. I think for Hope Harbor in particular, uh, just seeing the house parents that are there, that uh, talking with them, that's a really hard job uh, that does not, you know, doesn't pay well. Um, the teachers that are there, the, uh, the caseworkers, the therapists, um, you know, they're not there for the money. Uh, they're there for a mission, uh, something that's really close to their heart. 
And so I just think you, uh, them as examples for, for others that, you know, obviously you don't have to go out and work at a place like this, but we can do what we can um, here, uh, and the right heart's important, and so important. Um, I want to think of the more impactful mission trips that we that I've gone on. Years ago, we took a group in Texas. We took them to uh, the Katrina area for Katrina relief a year after it happened. And uh, we took Josh and Drew. They were really little. But just the change in them, you know, kids that goof off and you think that they're not going to do anything and you take them out there and really see them work hard. Now, granted, we gave them acts and told them to tear down a wall. I mean, uh, what kid would not love to do that? Just seek and destroy. But, um, but they didn't complain. They didn't just to see these children really work, and they didn't complain about the rashes. They didn't complain about the expired food. They didn't complain about sleeping on the floor or the smells or or any of that, and just to see the awe in them, to see that these people were still living like this in America a year after a hurricane happened, and then just the appreciation of the people who came out and said, you have no idea how much money you have saved us in in breaking our house down. You have saved us thousands of dollars in one day. And just to see the outpouring and hearing their story and just seeing the kids really, you know, sometimes kids don't really listen but to just see them really listen and pay attention and 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 really appreciate, like you said, where their own background, and that they can they can go home to their nice warm bed and realize that man, um, so many people don't have that, and that's here in the U.S. Um, that was very impactful and very thoughtful for both me and I feel for my children also. Um, so with the. The kids that Tyler and I mainly see a lot of obviously <laughs> deal with things that uh, you know, are unique to them, so anxiety, depression, um, behavioral disorders. We see a lot of those kids, and so for a lot of them, they already feel like outcasts, and they're teenagers, and they're a Christian. So how do you stack all of those identities on top of each other and not feel you know, ostracized from one group or another? So we get to talk to them a lot, and how do they you know, fit those in, uh, you know, and get a minister to them a lot. Um, so that's kind of a unique position that we have, and it's very difficult, you know, and it's very hard conversations to have with some of those campers. But as Andrew said, it's neat to see even that short change happen in such a short amount of time. Um, and the one thing that I've seen happen at work is that whenever I tell my coworkers, Tyler and I's coworkers, that we do this on a volunteer basis, they just think it's crazy. Because other coworkers we have work as camp nurses, but they get paid. So, <laughs> Tony's over the budget. So I, you know, I'm just saying, you know, that's that's a thing that happens. But no, but they think they they just they they just think it's so odd that we would spend a week of our time working with that many campers, doing that, doing as much as we do, and not get paid for it. So that really isn't a ministry just of itself to our coworkers. So I've I've noticed that. Do you think the cost of camp's expensive now? <laughs> well, I was hoping we'd run out of time, but we didn't. Um, I've had a couple of experiences that I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about both of them. I think um, in my time as a cook for large groups, whether it's been here at Wilshire on Wednesday nights or 
uh, a mission trip I took with Doug uh, a couple of years ago through Churches of Christ Disaster Relief to Texas. And then all my years at camp, either in Wisconsin or here at Lariat Creek when I've uh, been cooking. Um, in Wisconsin, I've been there about 25 years and only recently as a cook. So a lot of the staff who are there know me in other roles before I became a cook as a counselor or a teacher or a team leader or whatever. And since I've come back in that role, I get a lot of questions about how do you do that? How can you, how can you spend two weeks in a hot kitchen getting up before everybody else, staying oftentimes later than everybody else? There's no air conditioning in there. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? And I'm able to look those folks in the eye and with a straight face say that I have the single most fun, single most rewarding job in camp. <laughs> and, and, and I mean it. And they look at me like I'm, I'm crazy. And one of, those instant, one of those two times that I've really been impacted and touched by the work that I've done, by things that have happened, was just this past summer. Um, a guy named Juan Santana, a longtime counselor up there. He and I worked together for 20-odd years. Known him well. He came through the line one day, um, lunch or dinner. I don't even remember what we were having. Not important. But he stopped me and he said, Dave, i got to tell you, you guys are doing a really good job this year because we have this thing in our cabin where at night before we have our evening devotional, everybody goes around the circle and talks about what the highlight of their day was. And I've got two guys in my cabin who all they talk about night after night has been the food. <laughs> and he meant it as a compliment. I took it as a compliment. It's nice to get compliments. But I don't necessarily think that the reason that those kids were saying that is because the food was just so outstanding. It brings me back to that first experience that I had, which was right here at Wilshire. Uh, in that fellowship hall back there. It was a Wednesday night, a uh, normal, ordinary Wednesday night meal, nothing special about it. And um, I don't remember what we had to eat. I don't remember the lady or the child in this incident. And if I did, I wouldn't call them out. But I overheard as they were coming up, getting ready to get their plates and get the food, the lady bent down to this little boy, five, six years old, and said, now when we get up there, I want you to put a lot of food on your plate, and I want you to eat really big tonight because this may be the only chance this week that you have to eat this well. We don't talk about it, but inside this big Wilshire family, there are little Wilshire families that struggle with having simple things like enough to eat from one day to the next. When we have an opportunity to have the meal, I know why the elders did it. I mean, they did it to make it more convenient for folks to come to church on Wednesday night. <laughs> and if that's the role it serves for you, that's great. That's fine. That's perfect. But for some of our families here, that meal is more than just a convenience. It is a real, tangible blessing. And when you have the chance to prepare it, what you're really being given is the chance to be Jesus to somebody who needs a Jesus blessing in that tangible way. So we take that back up to Wisconsin. I've got 75 kids there. I don't know what their stories are. They all live up in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa. I'm here in Oklahoma. We don't go to church together. We don't, we're not friends on Facebook. Don't know what their stories are. 
but I know they have one. And I know that if there's 75 of them, statistics say that some of them are going to come from families where they don't have enough to eat, where they're on free and reduced lunches in school, where they get breakfast at school, lunch at school, which is great during the school year. But when summertime comes, those meals go away, but the hunger doesn't. And so for some kids that come our way at camp, simply the opportunity to have enough food to eat so that the hunger is gone before the food is, is a real tangible blessing. And, you know, I, could, I can trick myself into saying it's because we make such great food. We do okay. But it's not really about that. It's a, for some of these kids, it's just about having enough food to eat. Good food that's not out of a microwave, that's not chemicals, that's not potato chips. Um, in, my, in my dining hall, if you leave hungry, that's on you. That's not on me. If you're hungry, we'll keep feeding you till you've had enough. And for some kids, that's more than they get at home. Sure, we would like for, for it to be like the kids that Mel talked about when he was here a couple of weeks ago, and, and kids who grow up in church talking about Bible camp and mission trips as the highlights of their spiritual life. We want kids to learn that stuff. Some kids aren't ready for that. Some kids, their minds or their hearts aren't ready for that. And even just a simple meal three times a day, every day, where they get enough to eat is a blessing enough. And if that's all we can provide, we still have not failed that kid. We still have been Jesus to that kid. That's why I do it. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. Well, David, we may give you the microphone more often. <laughs> so here's my question for you. Go and make disciples of all nations. What did you do last week? Or what are you planning to do this week to do that? To help someone come to know Jesus, to see Jesus, to experience Jesus, to change their image of Jesus. What are you going to do this week to do that? Some of you have already done that. When the collection plate went by this morning, you, out of your generous heart, said, I want to give some money to make this possible. But don't stop there. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing... That calling is for all of us to do. Now, one other thing is that the people of God looked for opportunities to declare the glory and greatness of God. And Jim passed out uh, a sheet of paper. I hope you'll pull that out. And this is from Psalm 22. It's a psalm that celebrates a way of declaring the beauty and majesty and wonder of God. And Jim's going to lead us through this reading. So this is, uh, this one's working. This one is structured as a, as a responsive reading. This is just Psalms 22. And this psalm... It starts as a lament psalm. It's actually a real famous one. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But um, 
you know, Ephesians 5 says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So a responsive reading is one of the times we do that. And so what I have set this up so that we can do, which resembles what ancient Israel would have done, except they might have chanted it, but I don't know how to teach you how to chant. I don't really know how to do that myself. So we're just going to speak to one another in this psalm. So this side, every time it's in italics, we will read that out loud to this side. And this side, every time there's bold text, we will read that. I'm going to read with them. You guys have to read the bold text so that this side can hear it, okay? So we're going to speak to you, and you're going to speak to us. All right. And we all get to say the last line together. It's fun. Um, Psalms 22, verses 22 through 31. I will declare your name to my people. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. Posterity will serve him. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Amen. That psalm that is the psalm that starts with these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in his providence, the Holy Spirit inspired this psalm in the psalmist so that it could provide the words of Jesus on the cross. When it talks about the afflicted one, the ultimate afflicted one that it's referring to is Jesus on the cross. And so when it says, I will proclaim this to your people, more than that, all the nations are going to know about this. It is ultimately, by the providence of God, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talking about this worldwide spreading of the story of that one who put himself on the cross and suffered so you and I can be saved. And all the knees will bow. And all the people will one day know. That's the mission that we've been talking about tonight and all this month. If you need to respond to the amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ, 
the amazing proclamation that goes out into the world. If you need to receive baptism tonight, we are ready to help you do that. If you need prayers or help of some other kind, we are ready to help you with that. Any kind of response you feel you need to make tonight, why don't you come as we stand and are led in song.